Father, help us to come now to the the preaching of your word with the reality of our hope that we have in Jesus that there is nothing greater that we can have than Christ Jesus. For those who have him, may we desire to be more like him, trusting in him more. Father, for those who are without the hope of Christ, may this be the day of salvation. For your glory in Christ's sake, we pray in his name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. This week, as I was meeting with some of you, there was kind of a a theme that came forth, I suppose. Um, I guess it's always kind of there, but this came to my mind this week much. And it's the crum- grumbling and complaining that we are so prone to. Uh, we serve God, and and yet we seem to complain about it quite often. For God's people, that ought not be so. So, I want us to continue to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I want us to look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, before we get into the sermon today. Alright, so if sense because there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. If there's encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort of the love of God, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, splonknon, any any, uh, compassion, pity or mercy, and sympathy, benevolence, kindness, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. We are, as Christians, to think alike, to love alike, and to walk in lockstep with one another in certain ways. This is what he's talking about here, this way. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Be selfless. Serve one another. Prefer one another. Have this mind. So, back to verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, being in full accord of one mind. Have this mind. So, what mind are we to have? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You have this mind. You have this mind. This mind you have in Christ Jesus. So let's use that. And he says, so have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God the Father. This is our example of humility. 
This is the mind we're to have as we do nothing in selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than ourselves, looking out not only to our own interests, but the interests of others, have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ who humbled himself, who gave up the glories of heaven, who came to live in the likeness of men, who, who left and lived in this, in his creation that is fallen and in sin, lived amongst this, suffered as a man and then died a humiliating death. This is the mind to have as you do nothing in selfish ambition and vain conceit. This is how you are to serve one another and love one another. Have this same mind, be in lockstep, living this way, having the mind of Christ, this humility as you serve. He says, therefore, because of this, because of what Christ did, because you have this mind, because you're to be in lockstep with one another, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to, and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation, knowing that God's working in you. Work it out having the same mind of humbling, considering others better than yourselves. Looking not to your own interests. Did Christ look to his own interests? He came to get a bride, but he wasn't here for himself. He was here to sacrifice himself. And that's the mind we're to have. And then he says, goes right into, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here, here is the, here is the mind of a Christian. How we are to walk, think, love, without grumbling or complaining. We're to be different. We're to look different. Holding fast the word of life, so in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul says, look, do this so my work isn't worthless. Even as I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Our grumbling and complaining is the complete antithesis of the mind of Christ. We are to serve God and his people. We're to consider each other better than ourselves. We're to look out for each other's interests without complaining and grumbling. As Christ is our example, came to live on this earth without grumbling and complaining. Husbands, you're to work hard to provide for your families. When you do, you do well. Stop complaining about it. Stop grumbling about hard work. Wise, when you, you make your home, you raise your children according to the word, you do well. Stop grumbling and complaining about it. Grace Fellowship Church members, when you serve one another, you serve this body, when you sacrifice for the good of someone else here, you do well. Stop complaining about it. Grumbling and complaining is the opposite of humility. 
Grumbling complaining is, is self-focus. It's not humility like the mind of Christ. We sometimes want to take this passage and pull pieces out. Let's put it all together. And let's know that as Christians, we will have the same mind, the same love, full accord, one mind. We will think alike and live alike in how we do nothing out of selfish ambition, how we serve one another with the mind of Christ that's put in us, how we love God and love people without complaining and grumbling. Ask yourself, think about this. Do you joyfully sacrifice? Do you joyfully serve your family or your church? Do you joyfully serve your husband, your wife, your children? Or do you grumble and complain? This isn't how a Christian ought to think. This isn't the mind we should have. And our focus simply needs to be on our king, on Christ Jesus, who humiliated himself for us, that we might love one another with humility. And the opposite of that is grumbling and complaining. And you know this, we know this, but look around the world. Everyone grumbles and complains about their Latin life, about how hard they work and how about they do everything and nobody does anything and I'm the one pulling the weight around here. And Great, you do well. You do well to pull the weight. Stop grumbling and complaining. Amen? Amen. All right, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verses 22 and through 25 today. Jesus and his disciples are traveling around Galilee. Jesus is preaching and healing and teaching and huge crowds are following him. It seems like in this particular passage today, he kind of wants to get away from the crowds. For some reason, he wants to go across to the other side of a lake. So stand and we will read verses 22 through 25 in Luke 8. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? You may be seated. This is a very well-known event in earth, in Jesus' ministry. Uh, as I was preparing this week, the title of this sermon changed a number of times. And as I was finishing my outline and immersed in this passage and then all the things I looked at, it became really clear to me. My soul was still. My soul, as I was preparing, as I was contemplating all that I saw here, my my soul was still. So the song popped in my head, and then that's the title of the sermon. So let's look at today's passage. 
One day he got into a boat with his disciples. He said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. One day, just no special day, just a day in the ministry of Jesus, he got into a boat with his disciples. He said, let us go to the other side of the lake. What lake? Uh, this body of water being referenced here is uh, is identified in a number of different ways in the scriptures. And I think it's helpful for us to to know that as we read our Bibles. It's most commonly called the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Galilee, remember, was the region of northern Israel. You had Ju- uh, Judea in the southern part, Samaria in the middle part, and the northern part was Galilee. So Galilee was a region. Uh, Upper Galilee was known as the uh, the land of the Gentiles, and Lower Galilee is where Jesus was raised, where he grew up. Um, so the northern border of Galilee was Lebanon, and, and so this sea, this body of water was in Galilee, so it was called the Sea of Galilee. It was also, uh, this lake was also called the Sea of Genereth, or Generoth in the Old Testament. In Numbers and Joshua and Deuteronomy, we see it called the Sea of Kinnereth or Kinneroth. Then in the New Testament, we see it also called the lake or the Sea of Gennesaret. The Gennesaret is the Greek form of Kinneroth. So it's just the Greek form of what we saw in the Old Testament. It's called the lake or the Sea of Gennesaret. It's also known as the Sea of Tiberias. We see that in the scriptures as well. It was named after Emperor Tiberius Caesar. Herod Antipas named this city on the uh, western shore of the Sea of Galilee, or of this lake. He named it Tiberius and then named the sea, the Sea of Tiberius, to try to gain favor with, with the Caesar, Tiberius Caesar. So this, this body of water that's called the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Gennareth or Gennesaret, Sea of Tiberius, it's actually a lake. It's actually a freshwater lake. It is the lowest freshwater lake on the earth. It, uh, it's 700 feet below sea level. And it's fed from uh, Mount Hermon and Mount Lebanon, which is up north of Israel. Uh, the snow melts and flows down in the Jordan River. The upper or northern part of the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, the lake. And then it flows south out of there down to the Dead Sea. And the Jordan River goes south out of there to the Dead Sea. And that's the, that's the eastern boundary of Israel. So this lake is in the upper part of Israel, upper and down to the central part of Israel. And it's fed by Mount Herbert and Mount Lebanon, comes down into a freshwater lake, and then on down to the Dead Sea where, where it ends. It's about 13 miles long and 8 miles wide, approximately. And it's, it's kind of in a bowl. Uh, it's very high ground to the east and very high ground to the west and very high ground to the north. And so it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's down below. You've got high um, mountains or, or ridges on either side, and then it all flows down into this, to this bowl. So one day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to him, let's go across to the other side of the lake, this Sea of Galilee. So they set out. So they were in a sailboat. It wasn't a rowboat. It was a sailboat. And it was a fishing boat. But it was a sailboat. They got on this, fish, this boat. And this boat would probably hold 10 to 20 people. And they set out 
to the other side. They they set sail for their their three hour tour. In Mark's gospel, we see, but he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. So we see Jesus was asleep on a pillow in the back of a boat, the back of the boat. He was tired. What we see here is we see Jesus' humanity again, don't we? Just like he was hungry in Matthew's gospel and thirsty and weary in John's gospel, we see the humanity of Jesus here. He's, he's, been, he's been preaching. He's been teaching. For any of you who know when you preach or teach or anything you do with lots of intentionality and focus, you get tired. So he's on this boat, and they're about to take this three-hour tour or journey across the lake um, to the other side, and, and he falls asleep, asleep on the cushion. John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is knows that he is doing the will of his Father. And he's tired, and he's on this boat, and it's starting to sail, and he goes to sleep on a pillow. He's trusting in his Father's plan. He knew they would travel safely across to the other side. Because he was tired, he slept. He slept in the back of the boat, and I just love this picture. He is resting on the pillow of God's sovereignty. He is sleeping, resting on a cushion. He is resting on a pillow, trusting in his Father's plan, that he's doing his will, and so he is sleeping comfortably. What a great example this would have been, should have been, could have been to his disciples, that that he's resting, sleeping, when they're out on this, this lake. And there's a reason that maybe they should have had some pause, and he should have, and we'll see that in a while. But, but, but something that we can take away from today's passage is we, we can rest on the pillow of God's sovereignty as we go through the storms of life. It sounds a little cliché especially for somebody like me. I'm not big on those cliche type things, but we actually we actually can rest on the pillow of God's sovereignty as we go through the storms of life. Because we have them. And as we go through today, probably we'll stop looking so judgmentally at these disciples and how they just don't get it. And maybe we'll look at ourselves and see how maybe we can have our souls to be still. All right, back to the text. So, so they set out for this three-hour tour. And as they, fa- they, they sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus is tired, and he's resting. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. So they set sail for a three-hour tour, and the weather started getting rough, and the tiny ship was tossed. A windstorm. A windstorm. This was no gentle breeze. Okay, this is this is a windstorm. The word there is light laps animas. It means a sudden and violent gust of wind. Squall. Fierce gust of wind. Hurricane. 
So these are hurricane-like winds that are now coming upon them. And, and this still happens in the Sea of Galilee today. When the, when the winds come from the north and the west, they will come down into this bowl, this bowl that the, the sea is, and, and they will swirl. And it will create very high winds. It can be winds up to 30 to 50 miles per hour. So in Matthew's gospel, it says, And behold, there arose a great storm, megas seismos. Seismos is earthquake. That's where we get a seismograph from. Megas, big, earthquake, a violent action of the surface of a body of water as a result of high waves caused by a strong wind. What you have is you have them on this sailboat, sailing across, and all and Jesus is sleeping, and all of a sudden, here comes this very high wind, this hurricane-type wind, which is causing them these waves. These waves that, that violently are rocking the boat. By the way, in 1992, I think I read, they reported 10-foot-high waves in the Sea of Galilee. So the wind and the waves would be substantial. And it's this 10 to 20 person sailboat. So it's not a little tiny rowboat. It's a decent sized boat, but it's not huge. And you have these winds blowing and the waves rocking and the water's coming into the boat. Place yourself there. Place yourself there. What are you thinking right now when you're out on a boat that all of a sudden hurricane type winds go? It's being tossed back and forth and water's starting to come into the boat. What's your reaction? Go lay down and take a nap? Jesus was, but the disciples certainly certainly weren't. They were filling with water and were in danger. To be in jeopardy, to be in danger, to put in peril. This was a legitimate emergency for the disciples. This was the real deal. This was probably far beyond the things that we get really uptight about as far as their life. They, people die on the Sea of Galilee regularly in these storms. They're, they're being blown by hurricane-type wings in this sailboat. They're, they're having waves that are rocking the boat, and the water is coming in and starting to fill the boat. And they're afraid they're going to die. And Jesus is asleep on the pillow of God's sovereignty, resting, knowing that God's will would be done and there was more work for him to do. So in fear, the disciples woke Jesus. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Apalumai, to destroy or cause the destruction of persons, objects. We are being destroyed. We are about to drown. Wake up. I would argue very reasonable, very sensible. I'm with them. This is not good. We've seen you do some stuff. Hey, we're dying here. And they woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. There's an interesting sidebar here I want to take for just a minute. In Luke's gospel here, we see this word master. 
epistatis in Mark's gospel with the very same happening. He quotes them as having said, teacher, didaskalos. And Matthew, in his gospel of this same event, uh, writes the word Lord or kurios. Three gospels, same happening, three different words. Uh Uh-oh, the Bible's not infallible. Of course, that's not true. You've got three men who had different sources of information, who are, who are, and have different foci in their gospels telling these stories, telling these happenings. You have Luke. Luke's a historian. How did Luke get his inner, inner information? Was Luke, a, was Luke on this boat? No, Luke interviewed people. Luke was a historian who interviewed people who heard their, who their, heard their testimony and then wrote down for, oh, excellent Theophilus, these things that he could know what he'd been taught were true. And so in Luke's mind, the historian, and in Luke's mind, he's, a, he's writing mainly to a Gentile audience. This word he uses, epistatis, it means superintendent um, or headmaster or principal in our terms, president of a company. So it's the, the, the leader of the teachers is the word he uses. Master, master is how it's translated, which we usually think the word would be curios. It's not. It's a, it's a teacher of the teachers. It's a headmaster or a principal or a superintendent. And this is what the Gentile audience would understand. And then Mark, who got his information probably mostly from Peter. It is church fathers would say that John Mark. Mark was the, uh, the, the interpreter for Peter. So Peter was on that boat. And Peter told the story. Now, now Mark's, his, his, his focus of his gospel is Jesus' humanity and, and his adult life and ministry. And so using the word teacher, didaskalos, would, would make sense. And then Matthew. Matthew wrote to a primarily Jewish audience. And, and Matthew's focus is the deity of Jesus Christ, the fact that he is the Messiah. And so his... His gospel accounting says the word kurios. I doubt they used all three words, but I love the way the scriptures, God uses men carried along by the Holy Spirit to give us the depth of who Christ is. One calls him a teacher of teachers, one calls him a teacher, and one says they call him Lord. So, back to, and they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. They're in this boat. Jesus is asleep. It's a horrible storm. The boat's filling with water. They believe they're dying. They go and wake Him. So we've seen Jesus' humanity. He's sleeping. He's tired. He's trusting in God's sovereignty. He didn't... He didn't assume he had to do anything, that they were going to get to where God said they were going to get. Now we're going to see his deity. He went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He rebuked epitomao. He commanded with the implication of a threat. 
chide, rebuke, reprove, censor severely. Here's what he did. He gets up and he rebukes the wind. He rebukes the wind. This 20 or 35 mile hour wind, he rebukes. He rebukes these 10 foot, up to 10 foot high waves. He, he, he censored them. He rebukes the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. Paumai, to make cease or desist. The wind completely stopped. Immediately it stopped blowing. When was the last time you saw a 40 mile per hour wind stop like that? And then, and then, there was a calm, Galini, a calm or unruffled surface of a body of water. So here's the picture. A horrible storm. Boat getting tossed to and fro. He wakes up and he rebukes the wind and it stops. And he rebukes the waves and it becomes a glass-like surface. Now a tub's a bad example because it's so small. But kids, you know when you do a tub and you get the water going one way? It keeps going until it settles in, right? Well, in a lake you've got these big Waves going, and you've watched the ripple effect of a lake or in a, in, a, in, a, in a river, in a boat. When you go through with a big boat, it makes these waves that ripple all the way over to the shore. Well, these things were up to 10 feet high, and they stopped, and it was a glass-like surface. Think about that. What a wonderful sight. These waves stopped waving. The power of God on display. In Mark's gospel, he says, and he awoke, Jesus awoke, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea. So he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. The wind ceased and the water stood perfectly still. Jesus arose and said, Siopau, hush. That's not Irene piece. It's hush. Be still. Word there means stop talking. Zip it. He wakes up and he says to the wind and the waves, stop. Zip it. Hush. And it's done. There's no wind. There's no waves. There's nothing. (laughs) This tired man, this tired God man, wakes up and stops the wind and the waves. They've gotten on this boat. They're going to go to the other side. A hurricane-type wind comes up. Waves start to come up, huge waves. The disciples, they're afraid, and they wake up Jesus. They think they're going to perish, and and he says, zip. And this 30-mile-per-hour wind and these 10-foot waves are gone. And then he said to them, you're welcome. Then he said to them, thank you for waking me. He said to them, where's your faith? Wait a minute. Where's your faith? I'm about to die here. It's not okay for me to come and get you when I'm about to die?
Where is your faith? Ho pistis, definite article pistis, faith. Complete trust and belief in something or someone. Where is your faith? Why are you afraid? In Matthew's gospel, he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Mark's gospel, he said to them, Why are you so afraid? You still have no faith? Where is your faith? Why do you have such little faith? Why are you afraid? Delas. The reason I have that is that word there that's in Matthew and Mark's gospel, that is a different word than down below where they're afraid in Luke's gospel because he says to them, you're timid, you're fearful, you're dreading, you're faithless, you have no faith. Why are you afraid? I can't blame them. I'd be afraid too. I'd be afraid too as this as these waves are crashing in the boat, water's coming in, I'm going to perish. People perish on this lake often in these storms. Of course I'd be afraid. Would you not? I know it's a trick question, but I'm telling you I'd be afraid. Before we judge these disciples so harshly, which we tend to want to do, I I get it. I don't particularly like being out on water anyway myself. kind of have a fear of that anyway. Start rocking my boat around and water's coming in. I'm going to be afraid. So why is this a matter of faith? Why does he say to them, where is your faith? Look back at the verse 22. One day, he got into a boat with the disciples. He said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Is that a question? Statement. He doesn't say, let's try to get to the other side. He doesn't say, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get there. He says, we're we're going to the other side. Let us go. His question then is, where is your trust? Where's your faith? Here's our application, brothers and sisters. What God has said will happen. So why are you afraid? Where's your faith? God has said He will provide. When your bank account's empty, and you might be losing your job, and credit card bills, and you're afraid, has God not said He will provide for His people? <laughs> when people are attacking, when people are threatening, has He not said, Vengeance is his? Why are you afraid? He will keep us. He will sanctify us. He will chasten us. Why are you afraid? Where's your faith? Why are we afraid? What is it that has us in our storms of life be so afraid of? Because I might die. Hasn't he said you'll be in glory? Then why are you afraid? 
He said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled. Here they were afraid, phobeomai, to fear, to show great respect or reverence for it. To have such awe or respect for a person as to involve a measure of fear. They were in awe of God's power on display. They were in awe. Can you imagine? 50, 30 mile per hour winds, 10 foot high waves. Hush! Be still! And they stopped. Would that not have you be in awe? How about the storms he's brought us through? Where he says, stop, it's done. Do we not see how he stopped those things? Are we not in awe? God, how did you, wow, you did it again. (laughs) You you mean, there's something more for me to do? I don't have cancer? Wow, (laughs) you mean, you mean you actually, you actually were faithful to keep our marriage together as we trusted in you? You mean I keep having food and shelter and clothing? And they marveled. Dalmatso, they wondered, they amazed, they marveled. They they were, um, how does that happen? Well, we know the answer now. We have a lot more information than they did, don't we? Because he's God. That's how it happened. But they're 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 afraid and they're they're marveling, and they say to one another, "Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him?" What kind of question is this? Well, we have a lot more information, don't we? They're just really kind of following this guy around for a while, and he's making these claims. They can't put two and two together. The picture's not fully revealed. And they see these things happening. Who is this then? Well, if they knew their Old Testament well, they would have known who it was, wouldn't they? Job 28, 25, When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, God made the winds and he made the water. He created them and he controls them. Psalm 65, 6, The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of peoples. This is exactly what they just watched, wasn't it? God stills the roaring seas and their roaring waves. Psalm 78, 26, He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and his power he let out. The south wind by his power. Psalm 88, 89, 8 and 9. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging sea. When its rays, waves rise, you still them. Are you seeing Jesus, beloved? That's what they saw. They saw, they saw this happening. And if they knew their Bibles, look, when we see what God does, in our lives, if we know our Bibles, we'll know who did it and how. Which will then lead us next time around to be a little less afraid. Psalm 135.7 He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes the lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. That 30 mile per hour wind came from God. Those waves are created by God. And then God stilled them. 
This wasn't a storm that was not planned by God. This was a storm with a purpose. A purpose to show the God-man and his humanity and then to show him in his deity and his control over the wind and the waves? Who does that? God. Psalm 147, 18, he sends out his word and melts them. He makes the wind blow and the waters flow. He caused the hurricane winds and then he stopped them. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word for his purposes. Jeremiah ten thirteen. when he utters his voice, there's a tumult of waters in the heavens and he makes the mist rise in the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Jonah 1, 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea as so the ship threatened to break up. The very same thing in Jonah when God sent a storm, a storm that had a purpose. He has started this storm in the Sea of Galilee, this lake that they were crossing. And then, so God started it, and then God stopped it. God the Father brought this storm, and God the Son hushed it. We'll see Jesus in the Old Testament. Look at Psalm 107.23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from distress. How? He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. This language that that is used by Mark is, be peace, be still, hush. This is exactly what we see in Psalm 107. Then they were glad the waters were quiet, and he brought them to the desired haven. He got them to the other side. How then... Are they afraid and marveling? Who is this that commands even the winds and water? Who is this who controls the winds and the waves? The same God-man who you saw earlier, disciples. The same one. Luke 4.33, And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For the authority and power he commands the unclean spirits. And they came out. And reports went about him every place in the surrounding region. So they saw him rebuke a demon. Verse 38, and he rose, left the synagogue, and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. Ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever. The same one who rebuked the fever is the one who rebuked the wind and the waves. Because he's God. And he stood over a the fever and left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any were sick 
various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hand on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them. So this same God-man who rebuked demons, who rebuked fevers, he took care of illnesses, who, who does that? God. Try to rebuke a fever. You know, we're not a bunch of misguided, lying faith healers who rebuke fevers. God rebukes fevers. We're not the heretics who claim they can keep storms from coming and then die in plane crashes in storms. God does that. How did these disciples make it through this storm? Because God himself rebuked the storm. I think it's easy for us to wonder how they could be so faithless. They watched Jesus do all these things. They're going to keep watching. And even after he dies, they still don't get it. They still don't get it. They doubted when he died. Even though he had told them, remember, he said what was going to happen. Just like he said we're going to get across the, the lake, he said, I'm going to die at the hands of men and then be raised again. And then they still doubted. But do we not do the same thing? God brings us, what storm has he not brought you through? Only the one you're currently in. And guess what? You're headed somewhere. Still, my soul be still. God's got this. Be like Jesus and put your head on the pillow of God's sovereignty and sleep. These disciples were exhibiting little faith. Now, think about it. The stuff that he watched happen, they watched happen before in Luke 4 really didn't directly affect them. Right? Here on this boat, it's actually them for the first time who he brings through this storm. They're the ones that are about to die. They're the ones who he works on behalf of. What they should be learning. When Jesus said we're going to make it to the other side, we're going to make it to the other side. When God says it, it's going to happen. And you know who can't rest in that? Those who hate him and don't know him. They can't rest in that. Because because what they'll know is judgment's coming. We have no judgment coming, do we? The wrath of God is not on us, is it, beloved? So no matter what storm we're going through, we're heading somewhere far greater, and we can trust Him. These disciples 
are going to have peace upon peace upon peace put together throughout Jesus' ministry with them. And then the Spirit's going to come in and dwell them. And then they're going to understand. We have it all revealed. So while I understand why they would have been afraid, and I think I would have been afraid too. And a matter of fact, I think if you put me out in the middle, boy, you could tell me I have a lot of things I don't think I'd be afraid. You might put me in the middle of a lake and I might be afraid. I don't like the thought of drowning. But God has promised me many things. And so I drown, I'm in glory. I can be still. I can rest in that, can't I? One day he got into a boat with his disciples. He said to them, let us cross to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? I was thinking about that. There's a calm. Think about the last storm you came through, that you're through. Isn't it calm? There's no more waves. There's no more wind. There's no more upset. The one you're still in, you might be getting rocked around a little bit. But you're going somewhere. It's going to be calm. And our job is to have faith and be faithful. Be obedient to the commands that we're given and trust God. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to whether, who then is this that commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Closing thought. Beloved, how thankful we ought be for the storm, storms God brings into our lives. So, we know of a couple of storms on the sea. We know a few storms on the sea. Paul was in, storm, was in a storm at sea. Uh, these disciples were at storm. We know that Jonah was in a storm. And there was a difference between Jonah's storm and these disciples' storm. Jonah, the storm to Jonah was why? Why did God send that storm? Because he was being disobedient. He was being disobedient and God sent a storm. You know why these disciples were in a storm? Because they were being obedient. To go to the other side with Jesus. Similar storms. Similar outcomes in that God kept them. One for disobedience and one for obedience. Storms come into our lives that God brings into our lives because of our disobedience and because of our obedience. You want to have a storm in your life? Be obedient to proclaim the gospel to God-haters. You want a storm in your life? Stand on truth with your family members who want to believe and live lies. Be obedient and storms will come. Hey, be disobedient. Guarantee you storms are coming. And we should be thankful for every one of them. Because we know that these storms will teach us to recognize our faith lacking fear. Our fears are lack of faith. Increase our trust and faith in Jesus. We can know as the more, the more storms we have, 
the more we know of God's faithfulness. So we should be thankful for these storms in our life, knowing that what's going to happen is it's going to expose our fears, our sinful fears. It's going to grow us in a trust, knowing that God's got us and that we're going somewhere. And it's going to expand our awe of God. How many storms have you been through where you don't come out on the other side? Wow, God is awesome. Don't we come out of a storm saying how awesome God is for taking us through it? I do. Beloved, how thankful we ought to be for the storms God brings into our lives, knowing that these storms will teach us to recognize our faith-lacking fear, increase our trust and faith in Jesus, and expand our awe of God, that our souls would be still. And that our souls would be more still in the next storm that we face. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be resting on the sovereignty of God's pillow in these great storms. They don't even wake up. I just know I'm going somewhere. We have a great example. These disciples saw a great example. Jesus was in the same storm they were in. But Jesus knew that God had a plan. And he could trust in that plan. God has a plan for our lives, beloved. And what is that plan? What means to be persecuted? To grow in holiness? To be sanctified? To be chastened? To be cared for? To be in glory? Amongst other things. So, our, sto- our, our souls can be still. And whatever's happening in our lives, as we remember who controls the wind and the waves and the fevers and the illnesses and the demons and even death. The God we serve, the Christ we know. Let's stand and sing, Still My Soul Be Still, hymn 67. If you're in a storm right now, look, I don't even know, I don't even know how necessarily how Brad and Greta are looking at John Luke's situation, but it's been a storm. I, I go around the room. There's things going on in our lives that can cause us trouble. Look to Christ and have your soul be still. Brother John, you've got lots going on in your life with your wife, 